Today's scripture reading is from Hebrews 3. If you would like to follow along in our red Bibles in the pews, we will read from Hebrews 3, 12 to 14 on page 1002. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by this deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Good morning. Uh, Hebrews 3. So we recently started a a new series in the book of Hebrews. Um, The book of Hebrews has quite a few references to the Old Testament. You'll find that it is the most Old Testament out of all New Testament books. Um, one of those New Test or Old Testament references that is helpful to keep in mind while reading this book is the journey uh, the people of God had from Egypt to Canaan. And so if you can keep that picture in your mind, it will allow you to kind of picture better uh, what a life as a Christian is. The reason is, is you can see some parallels in there. So God frees... Uh, the people of God from Egypt as he frees us from the bondage of sin. And then they start wandering in the wilderness towards Canaan, the promised land. And that's a pretty good illustration of our journey as pilgrims here. And Canaan was this land of promise, this land of rest where God's people were going just as we are moving to a place of promise, a place of rest when we see Jesus Christ face to face. So if you can keep that picture in your mind, it'll be helpful. Now, even though we, this promise has, was made to, to many people, there were actually many, many who did not enter the promised land. There's an estimate that that generation of people of God was about 600,000 people. And so Hebrews issues this warning to us. Uh, take a look at chapter 4, actually. Verse 1, it reads this. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. That we, like the Old Testament uh, folks there, can fall short of reaching that place of promise. Now skip down to verse 11 of chapter 4, and it has this warning. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fail by the same sort of disobedience. So we see here that the people of God failed because of disobedience, because they weren't moving towards the promise. They they continued to go astray. And so we look at chapter 3, verse 10. I'm just giving you some background verses before we jump into Hebrews 3 in verse 1. Hebrews 3, verse 10. Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. So they're not moving forward. They're, they're, They're... They keep looking back. They keep looking back to the way things used to be. And so for us, we need to keep our confidence in Christ to move forward until the end. And Hebrews 3 verse 14 reads this. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So with that background information, let's look at verse 1 and we'll work our way through Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers... You who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. And so it starts out with this 
introduction, this greeting, holy brothers, it's also referring to sisters here. It's the generic use of the masculine, so it's referring to brothers and sisters. It's the family of faith. And Jesus Christ has given us significance as family members. Now, maybe you come from a family where you weren't entirely valued, or maybe you come from a family that where you did not feel significant or cherished in that family. But within God's family, he adopts us, he brings us, he gives us an inheritance to be part of his family, given a new identity, given a status to be part of God's family. And within this family, there are some expectations. There are responsibilities. There are privileges in being part of this family. And you notice that it addresses as us as holy brothers and sisters that we are set apart for God's service, holy, meaning that we are not common, that we are set aside for a special reason to live out our identity in Jesus. As we say no to the things that separate us from God, namely sin, and we say yes to the things that bring us closer to God, namely righteousness. You who share in a heavenly calling were called from heaven to heaven, and we share in this calling, not just simply hanging out as a church on a Sunday morning, but to share in a calling of holiness, of being set apart, of not being common every day, to be united together in Christ, even though we are really different from one another. And that's something someone should recognize as they walk into the church is that we're not all alike. We, we come from all these different backgrounds. We have different education backgrounds and, and upbringings and culture and ethnicities. All these different things that make us a church. And for someone to walk in and say, like, how can that person be in the same place as that person? Because this is so different. That what can possibly bring us together when we are so different is that we share in a heavenly calling that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, that we can pray in unity with one another to be united in God's plans together. So we, who are holy siblings, who share in a heavenly calling, what are we to do? And so the first thing we are to do is found here in verse 1, and I'm going to go over three things and then go back to what those things are as we work our way through these verses. But the first one is in verse 1, and it says, Consider Jesus. Another way to look at this is to fix your eyes, fix your mind, focus on Jesus. The second thing is found in verse 12, and it reads this, Take care that we don't have an unbelieving heart. So just to summarize that, to guard your heart. And then the third one is found in verse 13, Exhort one another every day. Encourage one another. So we'll get to verses 12 and 13 later Let's for those three instructions of Consider Jesus, guard your heart, encourage one another every day. So consider Jesus. This is a, a pretty strong word when you're saying like consider. When, you, when people use that word, it's not to be something that's casual or careless or something that's just irregular or infrequent. This is something that's telling us to, to focus. And so when Jesus said to consider the ravens or to consider the lilies in Luke chapter 12, he was instructing the listeners of that day to think deeply, consider these birds, consider these flowers. Why do that? Because in this deeper thinking, hopefully that would lead to a, a 
transformation by deeply thinking about that, that it would deeply transform who they were. That they would gain confidence about their new status, about who they were in Jesus Christ. That you are so much more valuable than a bird. You're so much more valuable than a flower. That God provides abundantly the food and the nutrients and the water for birds and flowers. So worrying about your provision. Do you really have to worry about that when you are so much more valuable? That God provides abundantly. You don't have to worry about that. And so the complaining or the grumbling, consider Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Don't be haphazard about Jesus. Consider Jesus all the time. And that's the priority. Who is Jesus to us? And so this verse tells us that Jesus is the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Apostle meaning that Jesus represents God to us, speaking from God to us. High priest meaning that he represents us to God, speaking for us to God. And so a couple of weeks ago I attempted to point out how vastly superior Jesus is to angels because that's what chapter 1 does. But moving into chapter 3, it's more than just a vast superiority to angels. It's also a vast superiority in terms of prophets. And so he points out the greatest prophet of them all in Moses in verses 2 through 5. Let's read this. Who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. So here we have this description of Moses' faithfulness. And and it's also showing Jesus' faithfulness. And then there's a compare and contrast as to who Moses is and who Jesus is. So here's... Here, here are some differences. Moses was a faithful messenger, but then Jesus is the faithful message himself. Moses is considered one of the greatest prophets of all time, but Jesus is counted more worthy of glory. Moses was loved by God, but Jesus is God and Jesus is love. Moses was a great servant in God's house, but Jesus is the owner of that house. So not only is Jesus vastly superior to angels as in chapter 1, but he's vastly superior in terms of the greatest of prophets. He's more grand. He's more superior than Moses. And so Jesus is not just another angel. Jesus is not just another prophet. Jesus is God. Verse 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. There's a very disturbing word in there, and I don't know if you caught it, but it's this word, if. That's, I don't like that word. I never liked that word growing up, right? Like, because your parents always use that word. You can have this if. You can do this if. You can go out with your friends if. Right? It's, those, it's like one of those condition things. I don't like it. And now I do that to my own children. So that's kind of messed up. But it says, we are his house. We are his family. We are his people if, if we hold fast. Meaning, if you don't hold fast, then you're not. The thing that is done, the thing that is settled, 
is that Christ is faithful over the house that God, over God's house. Over God's house, as his son, he's faithful to that. But we being his house is if we hold fast our confidence in our hope. So what is the test of reality of being a Christian? Now you notice that it's not giftedness, which many people lean towards. They, they think that, you know, if, if, if you're gifted, if you have some spiritual gift or if you're whatever, if there's some fruitfulness in your life, then that's a sign of reality that you are indeed a follower of Christ. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that if you have these gifts, then therefore you are definitely a Christian. It is actually nothing but this, that you hold fast your confidence in that hope. See, a Christian is simply a person who continuously puts their confidence in Jesus Christ, our hope. It's not something that you do. It's not something that you're gifted with. The test about whether we are a Christian is not about some retention of salvation. So there's a theology, a, a, the study of theology of, of your salvation, the doctrine of salvation, is something called soteriology. Within soteriology, there are some camps that believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. So if you do the prayer and then shazam, you're saved and then you're always saved. Or some believe that, you know, if you get baptized from that point on, then you're always saved. Or whatever that is, that, that confession or that, that ritual or that sacrament, whatever it is, that once you do that thing, then forever that's it. And so they're more focused on this retention of salvation. But I want to push back a little bit on that and not make it so much the retention of salvation, but indeed the possession of salvation, which is evidenced by a continuation of faith. That the evidence of our salvation is whether we are continuing in our faith. It's a perseverance to the end that shows that we are loyal, that our allegiance is to Jesus Christ. And we need to walk in truth to show we are truly in Christ. Now, of course, no one's perfect. We're all imperfect. We backslide. We, we, we just do things that separate us from God. We sin. But here's the thing. If you continue in the faith, you don't stay there. You don't wallow in that. You get up. You bounce back. That if indeed you are of God's house, you don't stay down. That you don't remain in the sin. Church attendance doesn't mean that you're in God's house. It means that you're in this very overpriced building. That's all it means, right? You're just, it just means here. And, and we stumble, but we don't stay down. We get up, and then we move forward in His grace, in His mercy, Verses 7 through 11. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, again, the if again, right? Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. Verses 7 through 11 are, those verses 
quote Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. And this is a warning against the hardness of heart that those had in the wilderness. And this is the second directive mentioned earlier, that take care that we don't have an unbelieving heart. And you notice that verse 7 is in the present tense. It says, says, as the Holy Spirit says, that the Holy Spirit speaks to us today. Now, I know that there are some who may disagree because they are cessationists. They don't believe that the Holy Spirit speaks today or works today. I don't think that's what this verse says. This verse, I think, says he's speaking to us today and he's saying today, if you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. The story of this wilderness pilgrimage shows us just how deaf those people were in the desert to the truth of God's word. So you look back to Exodus 17, and you notice that the people there are grumbling and that they're quarreling. Even though Jesus had delivered them from slavery in Egypt, they're fighting and they're testing the Lord with the, the rebellious hearts that they have and the deaf ears that they have. And you can read the same account in Numbers 20. But in Numbers 20, there's, there's even more detail in that they can even see the promised land. They're, they're allowed to see it, and yet they still grumble. God clearly shows them the promise. They still grumble. They still quarrel. God showed himself to be holy, that he's not some common God, that you aren't just some common people. I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. And the people are still quarreling. It's so easy for us to judge, though, isn't it? We look back into Exodus, we look back into Numbers, and like, those people, they're just so stupid. How can they not see it? I mean, even in Numbers, they can see the promised land, and they still don't follow it. How dumb can they be to keep grumbling against God? I would argue that this is us. We have the entire Bible before us. We know the promises of God. We know that he's been faithful to all the promises because we can read all the prophecies about Messiah and everything else that he's talked about with. We just, we just got through Daniel and how accurate those prophecies were about delivering from Egyptian uh, oppression and Babylonian captivity and Medo-Persians and uh, the Greeks and the Seleucids and the, and the Romans. And we can see how accurate everything in the Bible was and the promises there and everything that came to fruition. And yet we still grumble. We still quarrel. We still don't live according to his righteousness. See, God shows us his promises. And I don't think that we're all that different from the 600,000 people that perished in the desert. That we're the same. And it's very likely that we'd be the same quarrelers and grumblers. And you look at the statistics in the Bible, it's like 100%. That generation didn't make it in. Even Moses himself. The Bible says that the gate is narrow and that there were very few who made it in. It, it was the next generation. They had to carry Moses' bones in. And it was Joshua and Caleb who led them into the promised land. So it has me question, which generation are we? Are we the ones that perished in the desert that aren't going to make it through? Or hopefully, God, we are part of the generation of Joshua and Caleb that were able to experience that. Where are our doubts of God's promises? And so there are things that pull us all the time 
and we have to pay careful attention to all of those things. We have to be constantly reminded, and that's what the book of Hebrews does for us, is it reminds us. Look at verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Again, in other words, guard your heart. Guard your heart. So the first one is consider Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You have to know him first. And then you got to guard your heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it reads this. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. That our heart represents the center of our moral being. It's where all the issues of our life is addressed. And the condition of our heart is of utmost significance if we are to persevere until the end. If we are to continue. If. The people of God had these unbelieving hearts in the desert that prevented them from entering into the promised land. Skip down to verse 19. Hebrews 3, it reads this. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Unbelief. Not because of what they did. It's because of their belief. It's not because of some gifting or whatever else that they lacked. It was because of unbelief. Unbelieving hearts that continued to harden toward what God had promised them. And that goes back to the warnings we found in verses 7 and 8. And it reads this, Today, right now, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Unbelief, deaf ears, hardness of heart. All those things are key symptoms of disobedience. That unbelief, I would say, is the greatest symptom of disobedience, at least in the Gospels, it shows that. That people would rather go to hell than believe in Jesus Christ. It's not they'd rather go to hell than do good things. It's because of belief. It was all due to unbelief. Turn to John chapter 16, starting in verse 8. And when he, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. It's all about belief. The primary symptom of sin is unbelief. And so the people of God wandered in the wilderness because they had deaf ears. They had hardened and unbelieving hearts. And those who had drifted, as spoken of in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Those who drift, those who wander, they don't hear anymore. So today, if you hear, don't harden your heart. Because there may be a time where you don't hear anymore. Because it says, if you hear. It doesn't say, you will hear. So every time you hear, and you continue to callous your heart, you're callousing your eardrums to be able to hear from God. To the point to where there may be a time where you won't be able to hear from Him anymore. And then that's it. You might even be in the audience today where you are actually physically here, and you can actually physically hear. But can you hear what the Spirit is saying to you this morning? And if you can't, to humble your heart, to ask for prayer, to pray, 
God, sorry, I don't hear you, and I really want to, but, but I don't. And I, my heart desires that. I, I don't want to harden my heart towards what your spirit is saying to me this morning. I don't want to be living this life of unbelief. Please change that. Otherwise, you won't hear. You can't hear. You'll be deaf to it. Here's a test for you if you're wondering, how do I test my spirit? Well, during this entire message, what are the questions that have been running through your head? Has it been one of criticism or cynicism that you're more focused on me and what is being said or what the band and what they were singing and how they sounded more so than what the Spirit is directly speaking to your heart? And that you're more concerned with what someone was wearing up here about how they sounded or about what they should or shouldn't have done. And so that's why directive number two is there for us. Take care, brothers. Take care lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Make sure you're listening to God today, right now, with a tender heart. Not relying on stuff from your past. And like, I was baptized. I made that prayer before. I've attended church thousands of times because I was brought up in the church. And now that I'm adult, I've been to church so many times. And I've read the Bible so many times. And I've sung so many songs. And, and I listen to podcasts. And I do all that stuff. All that stuff, the things you do, don't make you exempt from unbelief. Because it's all about belief, not what you've done. Think about this. Don't you think that out of the 600,000 people of God who perished in the wilderness, there was at least one that, was, that is like you? One who knows the scriptures, who's read all of them, who's heard, who's heard numerous sermons, who's gone through all the worship services and all the sacrifices and all the different fests and, fest, uh, feasts and festivals that, that they were doing, that, that did all the churchy stuff, don't you think there were some people like that there? And yet, where do we find them? They perished in the wilderness, never to know, experience the promise of God. People who knew the scriptures really well, people who had experienced church hundreds, thousands of times, people who served many other people, ministered to many other people, but they perished in the wilderness and didn't make it into the promised land because of a willful disobedience. Willful disobedience. So if you are of the belief that you're once saved, always saved, and you have that kind of a belief, I need to share something with you that is very somber. That assurance that you hold on to that Christ is your Savior is not possible if you are practicing willful disobedience. It's not possible. Look at the 600,000 in the desert. If you are willfully disobedient, but you feel assured in your position in Jesus Christ as being saved, even in your willful disobedience, you're fooling yourself. There's no way. You're listening to your own conscience or yourself or your own reasoning or your own logic rather than what the Word of God says because it says if, if 
the Holy Spirit tells us not to harden our hearts. That if you hear, because if you don't hear, you got to pray for a softened heart. To have an unbelieving heart is what is going to separate you from God. To think that you're on the right path when you're actually drifting. Chapter 2, verse 1. When you're actually wandering. Exodus, Numbers. See, we always need to listen more, don't we? Always. If you're in a spat with your spouse, you need to listen more. You don't really need to talk more. And this is really, really difficult for people who have been around Christianity for a really long time. Is It's really hard for them to continue to listen because after a certain number of years where you've been to church so many times and you've listened to so many sermons and you've gone to so many worship services and you've done so much good in the world and you've done all this stuff already, you kind of sometimes feel that you're past the listening and that now you're the person that actually gets to speak. And so then you think about, oh, I wouldn't do ministry that way. And you want to redirect things and you want to complain more and you want to do different things and have more inputs rather than listening. I want to encourage you to not do that. Not in terms of the church, but towards your relationship with God. That you're, hopefully you're not at the place where you're telling God what to do. God, why, why didn't you prevent that war? Or why didn't, you, why didn't you come through for that young girl who's suffering from this abuse? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And you, and you think because you've heard so much that now you can be the one that's giving directives when verses 7 and 15 say, Today, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. That you have to act on today. You have to act on right now. Do you know what Satan, what the demons, what an Antichrist's favorite word in the world is? Their favorite word. Later. Tomorrow. That's their favorite word. It's also my teenager's favorite word. But, but you hear something. If you hear from the Spirit, don't think about it. Do it. Don't say, I'll get back to that later. I'll do that later. Because later becomes later. And then it becomes later. And then my teenager's room is still not cleaned after three months. Like it's later. <laughs> right? Always later. The people of God experienced the later and they died in the wilderness. It was just later. I'm going to stop grumbling later. I'm going to stop quarreling later. I'm going to stop testing God later. And they didn't get to experience. We need to consider Jesus. We need to guard our unbelieving hearts. Take care of our unbelieving hearts. And then there's the third today. There's the third directive. Verse 13. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So here's the third one. Exhort one another every day. Encourage each other today. Encourage each other to stand, stand firm in the faith today as siblings because we're holy brothers and sisters. We have a responsibility towards one another in Jesus Christ that we've received this heavenly calling. And how many of us would have not been where we are today if it weren't for the encouragement of a brother or sister in our life? That we need each other. 
And this is part of God's provision for us, is that he's provided us for one another to have one another's backs, which is why it's so hurtful when we trust someone and we invest into someone so much to then have that relationship sour and then and it hurts really bad. But we still have to move forward. We have to get up from that and move forward because we all have these blind spots and we need people in our life that love us to point them out to us and to encourage us in a really, really discouraging world. It's interesting that if I were to preach number three, the third directive of encouraging someone every day, no one would debate me on that, whether they were a Christian or not. They would say, yeah, that's a great thing. That is a great virtue that you would encourage people. Everyone would accept that one. Everyone would love that one. But you notice it comes third. The first one is consider Jesus. Because I cannot encourage you in your sin. It's not okay. That inappropriate relationship, the cheating, the addictions, whatever it may be, I can't encourage that. I have to focus on Jesus. I have to fix my eyes on Jesus, on his righteousness, and then I can encourage based off of that. I have to look at Focusing, considering Jesus, and then I have to look at any unbelieving heart because if that is there, I have to address that before I can say, great job. You're doing good. Keep doing whatever you're doing. I need to look at the heart condition just like a cardiologist would. They have to take a look at your heart before they can say, yeah, go run a marathon. Go for it. You're, go do it. Get some shoes and go run. They have to take a look at your heart. First things first, right? Consider Jesus. Guard your heart. Then I can encourage you. Because if it's not within the righteousness of Jesus, if you have an unbelieving heart, no matter how much encouragement I give you, it's not going to do it for you. So we have, to, we have to look at all of these three things, these directives, and I want to encourage, but I cannot encourage without the first two things. This third directive instructs us to exhort every day, which means I also have to consider Jesus every day. I have to guard my heart against unbelief every day before I can encourage you every day. And it can't be done once a week. right? When you come here on a Sunday and you think like, oh, all right, I got it. No, this thing says every day. Every day. So what's going on the rest of the week to address these things with your holy brothers and sisters who, you, who you've received a heavenly calling from? How are you in each other's lives to consider Jesus with each other, to address, to take care of the unbelieving hearts, to then encourage one another to live this life of righteousness? There's so much discouragement including inside the church. We need the encouragement. Verse 14, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, and you notice there's an if there again. Conditional, right? Firm to the end, that it has to be continuous, and it's only those who stay true to the end of the journey, only those who finish the course, who get up from their sin, brush themselves off, and move forward. Those are the ones that will gain the promise. 
Verse 15, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who are those who heard and yet rebelled? All of them. Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? Yes. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? All of them. Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? All 600,000. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Not because of what they did. Because they didn't believe. And so you look at all these questions. Who were these people? These were the people who were set free from slavery in Egypt, from the bondage in Egypt, that God set them free. And they were the very people who sinned and perished in the desert. 600,000 of them who disobeyed and did not believe. They were people of God who refused to listen to God when God spoke to them. Is this you? God's speaking to you and you're just like, la, 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 la. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to consider Jesus. I like the way that I'm living my life. I, I, want to, I, I, I accept this way of my life. I don't want to do anything else. I, you're not taking care of an unbelieving heart. You're kind of like nurturing the unbelieving heart. Given everything by God, but still walking in disbelief, walking in disobedience, even though God has in store for you these promises. 600,000 people received the promise, promise, yet they perished in the wilderness. Is that us? Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, can cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So you and me, God, we did this for you. I, I had these incredible spiritual experiences with you. And I, I did this and I did that. I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. Leave. See, the test of reality of our faith is the continuation in our faith in Jesus Christ. It's not what you do. And you've made it this far. So whenever you fall, get back up. Keep going. Pay attention to these warnings. And we need to be reminded to stay faithful until the end. That you don't just drift into this stuff. Repentance needs to continually happen. Continuing in your life of faith to Christ until the very end of your life, which is evidenced by this continued faith that we consider Jesus, that we take care of an unbelieving heart, that we exhort one another now. Today, every day, continuing until the very end. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for your word. Thank you for speaking to your church. Help us to absorb these instructions. To focus on you, to fixate on you, Jesus. That we would take care of any unbelief in our hearts so that we would be able to hear from you, so that we would be able to receive from you. And if we hear from you today, Lord, may we act on it in confidence and in faith, that we would move into that encouragement, keeping in mind the things that separate us from you and the things that draw us closer to you, that we would 
keep in mind the thing, considering Jesus and taking care of our unbelieving heart as we encourage each other through the rest of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.